0: Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. Okay, welcome, welcome. This is uh, Joe and Deacon John, and uh, we're back. You're from uh, Denver. We're a little tired, but uh, Feeling good. we had a big basketball tournament on Sunday. And, uh, we and got,
1: John did not play, and John, I didn't show up.
0: John uh, didn't play, well. and Joe got... Annihilated, so our team got totally destroyed. And uh, but
1: I was the DJ, you know, and I was bringing back hits from the 80s, you were and doing 90s, and all kinds of it was fun, man. You had you had the uh, every song that I feel like I've ever washed dishes to in your house, we we uh shot around on,
0: yeah. I have about 15 songs that I use to manipulate people emotionally to <laughs> do work, and part of it is dishes or play basketball or something. And so
1: it's true, every time I hear certain songs, I'm like, oh, I feel like I should be drying right I, now. Give me a dish to wash. With <laughs>
0: Exactly. Now, there was another thing that happened uh, yesterday, and before we get into the topic, I was wondering if you could just uh, speak to this. You wrote a letter?
1: I did. I wrote like a letter. This? I um, Who'd you write the letter to? John, I wrote a letter to the, our rector of the seminary. What John's referring to is uh, a letter I wrote to Monsignor Glenn, who's the rector of the seminary, applying to be a companion of Christ, which is... I don't know, John, you want to explain the Companions? No, I'm yeah, sure I... you've done it already. <laughs> the
0: Companions of Christ is a, uh, an association of priests and seminarians here in Denver uh, that are committed to living a common life, uh, and in that common life, holding each other to living radically, the, the evangelical councils, poverty, chastity, and obedience. So the idea is that uh, guys band together. Uh, instead of going out and doing their own thing, uh, that they have an option where they can live a common life, daily holy hour, meals together, uh, and then live a common mission together. Be shared. They have a shared vision for what holiness looks like, and they're they're moving towards it together, moving as a unit, so to speak.
1: Yeah, it's awesome. Uh, I'm really stoked about it.
0: And the house that we're in right now, where are the treehouse. Well, we're not in the treehouse upstairs. We're down in the bowels. in the, the cellar. The bowels, <laughs> the cellar uh, because I moved to the basement because of my ankle. But uh, this house exists for that purpose of forming men, in the companions. Father Mike was a companion. Well, is a companion. <laughs> I shouldn't say was. He still is. He's just in Craig. Uh, so the, <laughs> the way it works is that to the extent the bishop is able to, he assigns us to live in community. So we ha- we take assignments near, in kind of clusters all over the diocese. Uh And this exists up in St. Paul, Minnesota. All our friends up there, they got about a dozen priests and about a dozen seminarians who are doing it. And uh, Joe just put his letter in. So, I just
1: put my letter in. And uh yeah, it was good. I uh, J- John's been pressuring me for about three years now. to Join this, John. John's John, with uh, three other seminarians a couple of years ago, three years ago maybe. Uh, this is their initiative. Came out of the seminary. Now these some of these guys are ordained, and John and the rest of these guys will be ordained soon. Um, so
0: ultimately, the buck stops with me, and I get to decide if Joe becomes a companion. And, I'm, and I decided that I'm going to gauge his entrance into the companions based on this podcast.
1: So, <laughs> oh shoot! Yeah. All right. So well, you gotta. Uh, I may. Mean, I should just take my life <laughs> back then. Take your lunchbox and this go is, home. This is a big question mark here. So
0: no, it's very very exciting. This is one of those things. Um, you know, at the, I was going to do a podcast on this, but I get mocked every time for like talking about companions' things that you didn't know they were like the councils things, and like the councils and fraternity and election vocation, all this different stuff. But it's really like it's not a different vocation and it's not a religious order. It's guys who are called to be diocesan priests uh, who want to live this aspect of it. So what we're saying is that it's essential to the diocesan priesthood. To live a common life, it's of its essence. It's not something that's like we're extra. We're doing more than it. it's just this is an option. And the given the sociological changes of the last fifty years, it's fallen out of practice where priests are living a healthy, um, um, intentional common life, and we're trying to recover that. Exactly. It's
1: almost, the best way I heard it explained is that you know in the last hundred years we have this phenomenon where you have most priests, and priests in America who become priests end up being these lone rangers kind of at parishes by themselves and they get shuffled around and even if they're with other priests, they're not they're guys they might be with for maybe six years or so or three years. Right. And they get moved. But you're kind of a, you know, a lone lone ranger, for right. lack of a better word. Uh this little island of a man moving around ministering. And that's just not what the priesthood was ever meant to be. And that's developed because we've had a priest shortage and we have all these institutions, all these parishes uh, but we've had less and less vocations, and so we still have these parishes we need to staff and put priests in and institutions, but we have less to put there, so these men become more, more and more isolated. And to protect the, I guess, the heart of a, something essential to what the diocesan priesthood is, this is an effort in that direction. So- it is,
0: and uh, and you know we have to be honest that uh, St. John Vianney, who's the patron of priests, was a lone ranger, so to speak, um, and he did it in a really extraordinary way. But I think what we're arguing is that um, if you look at the history of the Church— it's not that is not the only form of diocesan priesthood that to be a diocesan priest means to be on your own by yourself completely or the it, ordinary form it's, well, really- it's not even ordinary form it's really an extraordinary form uh, and so to say every guy needs to look like that now because of the pre shortage or um, you know the growing demands whatever it is um, I know we're saying uh, I don't think that's the best way to go about it some guys are definitely able to do that some guys are called to do that. Most are probably not, and we want to give one form of bringing that common life back. This is just one expression of it. But we're really excited about it. <laughs> so it's exciting. And I'm excited to have Joe in, and he's going to be accepted. <laughs> Thanks, <John. laughs> he's going to be accepted regardless of, uh, um, what do you say, regardless of if this podcast, this podcast fails. So with that in mind, back to the early church, I think, huh?
1: Yeah, the early church. You guessed from this book I'm holding. I'm holding yes. in my hand a book... um This is incredible. I just got this about a year ago, and it's been one of the most valuable books I think I've had. I've read it a ton. It's called Church Fathers, and it's a book put out by Pope Benedict XVI. Pope Benedict? Pope Benedict, I think around 2007, 2008, he started doing a series of Wednesday audiences on all the Church Fathers, just starting from the earliest church, you know, Clement of Rome, you know, fourth pope, and going down the line, Ignatius of Antioch, all these guys, all the way up to, like, Peter Lombard, I think was the last one. Uh, that I have in the books I have, um, who who is in like the ninth century, I think. Right. Um. So. no no a lot of murders later. He was like eleventh century. Oh well, whatever. whatever. I haven't re- I haven't Sorry. gotten that far in the book. Anyway, doesn't um, matter. Continue. <laughs> <Didn't> you- <laughs> <laughs> like hijacked. There you go. Exactly. But uh, each each Wednesday audience, you know, it's like a five minute talk, and it's great because each chapter is a different father. Um, and there's just like four or five pages, really simple, but just kind of the highlights of their life, why they're important, and why they're important for us today. Uh, and some you know, some of the bigger guys have more chapters, like I think Augustus has like five chapters yeah. or something. And no,
0: that really is a great a great book. It's just a great little read on uh, his life, or these different guys' lives, and you're going to do one of them today, I'm guessing? I am. Marcus okay. Aurelius Ambrosius. Okay, but before you do that, just a quick word on what are the Church Fathers, just in case somebody hears that word and it's just like,
1: you, we, we talk about the f- Church Fathers. What does that mean? Church Fathers, yeah. We have the Apostolic Fathers, who are the Apostles, okay. the ones who... Received the Christian life and the heart of Christianity from Christ Himself, from the mouth of Christ, and those around them. Uh, that was the apostolic age. But after that generation died off, they handed on the Christian life to the you know their disciples, and these men end up becoming you know the leaders of these men. of these later generations became what we know as the Church Fathers. Meaning that while the Church was kind of in its na- nascent form, you know, as it's at its very early stages, it was still kind of developing. Uh, you know, we had this life that we've been given by Christ, uh, and the heart of you know the heart of who Jesus is and what He came to do in His mission. But a lot of things weren't articulated. There needed there was a lot of confusion about what some you know is the whole. You know, we talked about this the filioque. Is the Holy Spirit God? You know, right, is Jesus right. God? All these things need to be worked out, mm-hmm. and the church fathers are the ones that we look to as the leaders who articulated most clearly, most lucidly. The heart of what the apostles had given them, and these are men. I don't know. I don't know how you distinguish between like church fathers. Like, why do they church fathers? I think they're pretty much all the main teachers of the church in the first millennia. Yeah, it's
0: funny that people date it differently, but essentially, it's that first response to the word to Jesus Christ from the church theologically, and it's really a beautiful and there's kind of a preeminent
1: response to it as well. And these were great heroic saints. Mm-hmm. And heroic these are all men minds. that we, we, the churches have always held up as, you know, if there's a confusion about a teaching or we always look back, well, what did the fathers say? Because right. this is not something we just kind of make up and go, you know, we have the Holy Spirit, we can say whatever we want. No, right, it's right, like, right. we're guided by the Holy Spirit, but so were the people before us. And right. so we look to them uh, to help to guide us in our discernment of what the Spirit's saying is now. And I
0: actually propose to people a lot of times with uh, with our non-Catholic Christian friends, the uh, a lot of times, we have to reestablish a common ground and the fathers are a great place to do it. Yeah. We're going to disagree to the death about um interpreting scripture. But when we can go to a guy in the year 150 AD and say this is how he interpreted that scripture, we both need to conform ourselves to that in a deeper way. That you know that's a really huge thing we need to this need to look more like that and that was the whole project of resource mont which we've talked about mm-hmm. which is returning to the sources yeah, yeah. i love resource mont. <laughs> so that's that thank you for that uh, second day all right well
1: we're running out of time so let's let's even get started before we can finish 10 here. minute introduction <laughs> 10 minute intro That's you have right. Three this minutes. is gonna be a two-hour podcast so buckle up it's buckle gonna be up awesome. here we go so marcus aurelius ambrosios also known as saint ambrose Oh, there every you time go. I said that, you're like, "Who the heck is?" This? I had no idea. Who that was. Okay, <laughs> Saint Ambrose. No, I'm not interested anymore. So. I know. Well, you, what do you know about Saint Ambrose?
0: Well, bishop in Milan. Uh, I just said that early 300s. His first name was Marcus, No, I The joking. Uh, um, he, well, he studied. Where did he study? In he was a well cultured man. I wasn't sure if he studied in Athens or if he did like politics in Rome. You don't know anything. Like that. I'm just calling. I'm just going. <laughs> I'm going to get there. I'm just this is off the cuff. But uh, his obviously his biggest. Influenced the church, not just his writings, but the conversion of Augustine.
1: Augustine's the—I the, feel like that's the thing most right. people associate, because Augustine's Confessions, which is probably the most popular book of the Middle Ages—
0: First autobiography ever
1: written. It was huge, and it was super popular, but in that, Augustine talks about his own conversion and how Ambrose was super influential in his conversion. Ambrose baptized Augustine. Right. Uh, so that's kind of how most people know him because Augustine's so popular, but he was in his own right a real theologian and just a holy man and an awesome, awesome guy. So when I read this, I was like, man, this guy, I really like this. Like, I really like, I really, like, I don't know, I identified myself with this saint in some way. And so I, not I'm that just, I'm, really, I'm I'm so just so like holy, him. I'm so much like I'm him. Just I'm just like, I'm just this waiting. This is me. This is my life. Your Augustine's going to come along, Joe, here. England, yeah, right. So. Anyway, so Ambrose, yep. uh, he was living in the. I think he was born three thirty nine, died right. in three ninety seven. So second half, he was second half of the fourth century. He was flourishing, um, and he actually died. Get this, he died uh, on the night of Good Friday and Holy Saturday. Whoa! And that night, and, they, and Augustine or no Paulinus, who wrote his biography talks about him lying on his bed in the cruciform position, just like whispering prayers uh, in tears. Uh, and just kind of, like, identifying himself. Just, can you imagine, like, of all nights to die, to die on Good Friday, Good Friday, like, to enter into the death. And that was in 397? 397, yeah. Wow. April 4th, 397, which was, like, what, two days ago? What's today? Today is the 5th. Crazy. And tomorrow is the 6th when this gets published. So Whoa. He just died, like, two days ago. And a whole lot of years ago. A lot of years ago. Um, but yeah, I thought that was really cool. And he talks about him receiving viaticum on his deathbed, uh, which is still something we do all the time. So these are all, the Church Fathers. You know, we're talking about how important they are. We look to the Church Fathers and we see some of the same things we see now. Viaticum, receiving the Eucharist right before you die. J- means, what does it mean literally, viaticum?
0: Um, uh, it's like food for, for the, the journey. way, for the journey. For yeah, the exactly. journey.
1: Uh, anyway... Just so Okay, so a quick thing on his life. I just thought this stuff was so cool. So he was actually, he was born to a Christian family, but not terribly Christian. He was never baptized or anything. Uh, But his father was... In Rome or in Milan? uh, In Gaul. In Gaul? Gaul, France. Yeah, his father was a prefect in Gaul. So his father was a big politician. Uh, Underneath, this is when the Roman Empire was still existing.
0: Oh, Ambrose was the one who the, he wasn't even baptized.
1: Yeah, yeah I get to that. Okay, That's sorry. Awesome. Uh, now no now it's so good. I love it. It's back. so funny. Okay, um, so his father was a prefect uh, of Gaul, and he really early on, when he was like, I think late teens, he became a uh, got involved in politics, studied law, studied rhetoric, and had a political career, a civil career, and eventually he became the governor of Milan. Um, and so he was there, and he was not Christian. He was, I think, he was Christian. He wasn't baptized. You know, there was that. There's all this confusion, should we baptize early? Right. Or because, you know, in the early church, there was confusion about if someone commits a mortal sin, you know, can they come back into the church? And so a lot of people didn't want to deal with that, so they would just wait until the end of the life to get baptized. So he was kind of on that track. Um, but he was the governor of Milan, and this is what happened. So in Milan, there was a bishop who was an Arian bishop. And if you remember who the Arians are, Arians were... Bad guys, bad guys, who uh, followers of Arius, who was this priest who pretty much denied that Jesus was God. That was the, that's the basic thing, and this was like a a plague. Uh,
0: Just a little point to who punched Arius, one of the early podcasts. If you can go
1: back to that one, if you're <laughs> that was yeah. a goodie, that was a goodie, that, that was, was a, one of our favorites. That was a good one. Um, but anyways, so there's a bunch of Arians, these people denying divinity of Christ, and there was a real these are really uh, fractioning the church. A lot of area Arianists were around Arians. Anyway, so there's an Arian bishop in Milan. He dies, and there's all this dispute about who's gonna who's gonna replace him. You know, and the Arians are fighting to have an Arian bishop, and the more Orthodox Catholic ones are saying, you know, we need we need to get a good bishop here who's teaching the what the fathers, you know, and what the apostles were teaching. Uh, And so Ambrose, who's the governor of Milan, he comes in just to kind of because they're starting to riot and stuff like that. So he comes and he starts talking about the need for peace and how important this is, and he's in the church talking about these things. And all of a sudden, somebody cries out. Ambrose Bishop, Ambrose Bishop, and they all and like everybody starts starts chanting it because he's so like he's just so diplomatic, and you know the the Orthodox people like him because he's Orthodox, and the Aryans like him because he's charitable and he's like all about peace and stuff. So everybody loves him. So and he's like freaking out. He's like, "Heck no!" So he he takes off running. He's like, "They want to like make him a bishop right there." And he actually runs off to a friend's house and like tries to hide. And his friends like letting everybody in. Like he's right over here. Get him! So they grab him, and he's like. He's not even baptized. He's a catechumen. He's gone through the RCIA pro- the equivalent of the RCIA process, I guess. Uh, he's a catechumen. He's uh, and so anyway, within a week, he gets baptized, confirmed, Eucharist, bishop, uh, ordained priest, bishop, deacon, priest, bishop, all in one week. So imagine that, John. You're see, you're you're nervous about you know you're freaking out if you were become like a pastor in three years. Can you I imagine know. being a bishop. That's and, insane. Day That's after insane. your baptism, I can
0: understand why he ran. But uh, <laughs> exactly. But yeah, now, Joe, if someone says to you, like, well, that's kind of a weird uh, way of electing bishops, you know, that's not what we do now. What's the what's the difference? What would you say?
1: I don't know. What would you say, John?
0: Don't put this back on me. That's my <laughs> question to you.
1: No, I'm not prepared. I'm barely prepared for what I have to speak about. Okay,
0: here's what I would say, because we don't have a lot of time. That would be probably another good podcast. But there's forms. You have what is instituted by Christ, and then you have the forms that they take in the life of the church so the church has the authority to establish the form by which the reality is expressed. One of those forms would be how a bishop is elected and nominated, and that's taken different expressions over the over the history of the church. Right,
1: that has changed. But a lot. we have to
0: understand that the church has the authority to change the form. That's really important, the
1: which church, makes sense. I mean, even if you look yeah. at the scriptures, I mean, when they chose the successor of um, Judas, you mm-hmm. know. They it wasn't like Jesus said, So if in case you need a successor, this is how you're gonna right. draw straws and right. you didn't have No, enough. they just they just said, Okay, well let's do it this way. But that was the the authority of the church giving that structure to it, you know. Yeah. Um, and so the the church has the authority to, to change But
0: maybe that. we should bring it back. Maybe we should like you know, unanimously elect you moderator, which is the head of the Companions, even though you're not even a companion. I don't yet, think you so. can unanimously
1: do anything yet. I think that's uh, a, it has to be... Well, unanimous. I can start the chant like that one guy at the cathedral. So. And then everybody start ch- staring at Doman,
0: you. Doman! Okay, <laughs> Doman! Moderator. moderator! Anyway, back.
1: this is what I love about Ambrose. So he becomes a bishop, and he's kind of free. Eventually he accepts it, you know. Um, but he's like, you know what? I'm a bishop. I have a, I have a duty before God and before the church to shepherd the The Christians here, and I don't know anything. You know, I've I, I've I've been a Christian. I just got baptized, but he knew he didn't know he didn't know much of Scripture. He didn't know much of the fathers, but he had training in rhetoric. rhetoric. He had training in law, yeah. and he knew Greek, which is a huge thing. And so, because he knew Greek, that gave him access to read the scriptures and to read the Eastern fathers. So he started just. And this is what I love about him, he just started plunging himself, immersing himself into study yeah. all the time, just to like, okay, I, if I have this responsibility, I need to have my act together. And I relate to this big time, because I think of this all the time in the seminary, I'm like, you know what, I'm going to have a responsibility to be a priest and pastor, like, I really need to know my stuff, and like, not just know it, but actually pray it, too, I need to have a deep prayer life, I need to, I just relate to that, that idea of like, the the fear of of having a great responsibility and knowing that you got to really prepare. Absolutely. And you can't take that lightly. So that's what he did. And so one of the big things he did, uh, there was a, you know, I think you told me this the other day that the greatest theologian in the early church was Origen. Uh, one of the things he did, he started reading Origen and bringing him, he introduced Origen to the West. Nobody in the West even heard of or- Origen. And Origen's the one who, uh, <clears throat> his what he's most, I think the most biggest influence he's had is his interpretation of scripture. Right. Uh, that was like, he, he was huge in scripture studies. Origen's kind of the guy in the early church. And so he actually, Benedict Pope Benedict says that he introduced the practice of Lectio Divina to the West. Ambrose did, because Origen kind of had the primordial form of Lectio Divina. He didn't oh. articulate it as we have articulated it now, but he, the heart of what Lectio is, he brought that through Ambrose to the West. So Ambrose, you know, started reading Origen and started to, you know, he taught Augustine. Augustine was really influential for Gregory of the Great, who was like, you know, one of the founders of the Middle Ages. So I mean, this is this is a super influential man. That's interesting. You should do a podcast on that sometime on Lexio. Lexio, maybe I'll do one next time since I have to write a paper on it like it, this week. You should. Sweet, that'd be a great thing. Let's see. If there's 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 some other little goodies in here. Um, well, I guess. Oh yeah, this is this is a funny little antidote. Yeah, yeah, we're we're all right, we're all right. Um, <laughs> I'm just I just asked. Give me some more goodies. I, <laughs> all right, one more. Goodies. I just
0: happened to point to my watch. All right, right,
1: all right, all right. Okay, so uh, one of the, this is a funny thing Augustine talks about in his in the Confessions, Augustine was super impressed by this guy, because Augustine was saying how he was so unimpressed by most Christian preachers. He's like, preaching in the church, not very good. But when he saw Ambrose, he was like, wow, this guy has... And Augustine himself was a teacher of rhetoric. He had his act together. He saw Ambrose, and he was like, wow, this guy really knows what he's doing. And so he just kind of started to come to him. And he was impressed by a number of things with Ambrose. One of the things he was impressed by is that he was totally available. There was like a long line of people every day to the church. Ambrose would be, just be sitting in the church, just talking to people, helping them with their problems, what do you want to talk about? He was just so radically, like, hours and hours and hours and hours every single day. Huh. And Augustine said whenever he wasn't being available to people, uh, he would be nourishing himself either with food or nourishing his soul with reading. And so Augustine was like, he was so hard to get to because, like, everybody wanted to talk to this guy, and then when he wasn't talking to everybody, he was just immersed in the scriptures. And so he went upon him to find him reading, and he was so impressed because he saw him reading, and he was reading like this. Augustine was like, wow. He's reading with his mouth shut and his eyes open. He was so amazed because apparently Augustine, read everybody, Augustine's like, everybody reads like talking they talk as they read you know the reading was just so they could <laughs> recite it out loud and listen and i wish they could
0: have seen what you just did
1: <laughs> yeah with your eyes open bug-eyed and he was just like so impressed that why was well, like wow he's reading with his eyes open and his mouth shut like, i've never hilarious. seen such a thing you know he must know scripture so well to not even have to recite it when he reads it you know just really funny that's crazy that's great anyway i just want to close with this little prayer that he prays at the end this is like his motto ambrose's motto if he had one motto he would always he'd be saying this like all the time he would always say omnia Christus es nobis Christ is everything for us hmm. Christ is everything for us it was, it's, it's just a beautiful phrase and this is just a, one of the something from one of his homilies that he read he said omnia Christus es nobis Christ is everything for us if you have a wound to heal he is the doctor. if you are parched by fever he is the spring. if you are oppressed by justice he is justice. if you are in need of help he is strength. if you fear death he is life. If you desire heaven, he is the way. If you are in darkness, he is light. Taste and see how good is the Lord, and blesses the man who hopes in him. Omnia Christus es nobis. Christ is everything for us. Beautiful. Isn't that beautiful? That is. So there's a little Ambrose for you. Good work. Little church father. Ambrose. Good. That was good stuff. Yeah, Thanks, he's man. a good man. I appreciate it.
0: Questions, comments, concerns, fears, anxieties. <laughs> Uh, CatholicStuffPodcast at, at gmail. gmail dot com on Facebook. We got a couple of comments we got to catch up on, and I think that's about it. That's it. All right. Have All a good right. uh, Have a good week. Okay. Bye bye.